Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. Critical to ending the border crisis is removing all incentives for smuggling women and children. Part of the president's speech there from the White House lawn about the new immigration uh, proposal floated by his administration. 
And to discuss that uh, proposition and some of the Gallup poll numbers we were talking about and, and a lot more about uh, immigration, illegal immigration, Mark Krikorian joins us in studio. What an honor. Mark is the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Mark, it's uh, good of you to come by. Good to see you in person. Glad to be here. Thanks we've for talked, having me. Sure, we've talked many, many times through the years. So uh, you want to give us a, a brief reaction to the proposal, what you heard yesterday? There's a lot good in there mm-hmm. because part of it is illegal immigration measures. In other words, plugging these loopholes that are drawing people to the border. That the cartels are well aware of and exploit. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the other part, the one that's gotten more attention, is the legal immigration changes. And the point there is to focus family immigration on just nuclear family, husbands, wives, and little kids, Mm -hmm. and then move all of those green card numbers, basically, into a new merit-based system where they would pick people based on a, you know, a, a point system where you get points for you know, your degree and what you're doing, what your age is, that sort of thing, and then people who make the cut would be able to get in. So all of that I'm for. Mm-hmm. The part that I'm worried about is that this doesn't even have a token reduction in the overall level of immigration. The president's proposal endorses the current 1.1 million new legal immigrants a year, and even a little cut would at least have acknowledged that there's potentially problems in a modern society like ours in taking in more than a million people every year from abroad. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm with you on that there ought to be a cut, but your bringing that up introduces the question, what's the proper number? What is healthy? What is productive? What is safe? What what is smart? And just that question has been uh, a taboo in a lot of circles, which is just ridiculous. And in a sense, that debate we need to have. And that's, I mean, even people who don't agree with me, it seems to me, should embrace the idea that if this proposal had had even just a 5% cut, say the visa lottery they also got rid of, which Mm -hmm. is a ridiculous thing. We give away 50,000 green cards at random. If they got rid of that and didn't reallocate those numbers, it would have been a tiny cut, maybe even 4%. But people would then have gotten this debate going. And, you know, I don't think there is a magic number, quite honestly. The way I look at it is zero-based budgeting. You start at zero because we're a continent-spanning country with a third of a billion people who invented the modern world. I mean, I'm not sure we really need any immigration, but let's have that debate. Mm -hmm. Start at zero, and then which categories of people have such a compelling case to come in that we let them in? Okay, what our theme of the last hour was looking through Gallup polling on immigration and the incredibly distorted view of America's opinions, Americans' opinions that you get through the mainstream media in particular. For instance, 77% of people think that the large number of illegal immigrants is a critical or important threat to the United States. 77%. If you watch, you know, the mainstream news, you listen to Democratic politicians in particular, you'd get the idea that there's this hardcore of, I don't know, maybe 30% of the country. Most Republicans are just racists. And those are the only people who want any reformed immigration law. Well, how do you think Trump got elected? I mean, that's kind of what it amounts to is that not even just the Democrats, but much of the Republican elite just doesn't take this issue seriously. And if that happens long enough, people are going to find somebody else who will take it seriously. And, you know, I mean, look, president the idea of Donald Trump as president was a joke on The Simpsons years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that he came in and basically snatched the presidency out 
from both the Republican and the Democratic establishment tells you that there was an issue there that drew people to him in a way that the elites just had no idea of. Right. That's well said. And there are things the president says about immigration that I think are just clumsy and ham-handed, and he creates more problems than he needs to create. But those of you who who are constantly throwing around the R-word, racist, about the president and his policies and his fans, 77% of people said this is a serious problem. And they were getting nothing from the people in D.C. And then Donald Trump said, this is a serious problem. I'm going to do something about it. I mean, that is not a difficult. I mean, you don't need a degree in political science to understand that connection. I don't think the Democrats have learned that lesson, uh, quite frankly. Some of the Republican elite hasn't either. But look at what we're seeing at the border now. We are seeing last month almost 100,000 people who came up because of the loopholes in our law. If you bring a kid with you or if you say the magic word of asylum, Mm -hmm. or both. I fear for my life. They let you go into the United States. Now, you won't get your asylum. If you apply for asylum, you'll almost certainly be turned down because these people simply don't qualify. Some do, but very few. But who's going to go looking for you? ICE has enough trouble finding the criminals they want to deport, let alone an ordinary schmo who got turned down for asylum. So that, you would think the Democrats would come to the president and say, look, we disagree on a lot, but this... This really is an emergency, so let's get together and work on it. They're not doing it. They hate Trump so much, they refuse even to do something that's in their own interest. Because if this continues at the border for another year, it's going to keep getting worse and worse. There's a limit to what the president can do with the current laws. Mm -hmm. This is going to blow up in the Democrats' face, potentially. Mark Krikorian is the executive director for the Center for Immigration Studies. I've suggested many times that I don't think either party is at all serious. I mean, the, the, the party elders, the, the real you know pilots of the ship, I don't think they're serious at all about solving immigration problems because I think they'd prefer to have the issue. Uh, do you agree, or to what extent do you disagree? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's that much forethought involved in it. I think it's more that they're unwilling to take the steps necessary. They're, they're kind of um, stuck in a mindset. You know, give me your tired, your poor, this must be great, and we don't want to think too much about it. And if we take certain steps, our business constituents are going to be angry, or on the Democrats, their left-wing constituents are going to be angry. And so I, I don't think it's quite as premeditated as you suggest. I think it's just an uncomfortable issue. Politicians wish would just go away so it's not dishonesty it's cowardice your defense probably a little bit of both okay yeah. all right i think we can compromise on this. so my my other theory mark is that if you could assemble 15 randomly selected americans put them in a room within 48 hours they could have reasonable immigration reform I mean, they wouldn't get down to the brass tacks and the subparagraphs and the rest of it, but they could design an immigration system that would make sense and be very, very popular. Probably, but, you know, Congress is capable of that sometimes. What I think the real Show problem me. is, <laughs> the real problem, I think, in that we face now with the Gang of Eight bill from years ago and before that under Bush where they pushed that big amnesty, the problem was a complete lack of trust right. that the elites will follow through on their promises. Because the point always is, look, we're going to amnesty the people who've been here for a long time. And that's a sympathetic argument. I kind of get that. Especially if they've been here a long time, they're not murderers and rapists. Mm-hmm. The question is not amnestying the people here now. The question is, are we going to have another amnesty 5 or 10 or 15 years from now? Exactly. Because we didn't enforce the rules. No one trusts the promises that the politicians are going to enforce the rules starting tomorrow. Mm. 
What about the DACA recipients? I'm actually kind of a squish on the DACA thing. The problem is if you just give them their green cards, you know, you legalize them. Because, look, these are kids who are grown up here. There's an argument for that. Sure. How do we make sure there's not another DACA five years from now? Right. Because any deal like that has to have some enforcement measures to try to limit the likelihood of future DACAs happening and has to have some offset or pay for. Because if we're going to give 800,000, 700,000 green cards, extra ones to people, there needs to be eight or 700,000 fewer green cards for other people. These people are getting a special deal. Mm -hmm. Why would we be basically increasing immigration just to give them an amnesty? Are there any racists at the Center for Immigration Studies, or would you tolerate any racists within your organization? Absolutely not. Um, you know, you're really doing a poor job of, of being a monster. Yeah, I try, I try hard. But, so uh, you're, you're fine with the DACA kids staying. You're okay with a path to citizenship as long as there's serious enforcement in the future. Yeah. I, I just, I, I'm really, I'm underwhelmed. Yeah, I'm doing white supremacy all wrong. Yeah, you're bad at it. <laughs> I'm telling you, as we've said to the audience so many times, if you are a good person and you have a reasonable, um, a, a, an ethical, a patriotic attitude toward immigration and illegal immigration, don't let anybody call you a racist. Don't be bullied. Do not be bullied into silence. Yeah, that's become a whole lot less stinging now. I mean, oh, yeah, because especially with racist the, all the time. I mean, the Southern Poverty Law Center, for instance, has put us on their uh, hate group list mm. right after President got inaugurated. Nothing changed with us. It was yeah. just a political decision on their part. They're on and, my you're a joke list. Yeah, well, and the thing is, they're on more and more people's you're a joke list. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. So, um, Mark Krikorian has to uh, do another interview with some of our esteemed colleagues. Mark, we could talk to you all day. We sure appreciate the time. It's always a pleasure. Happy to do it. Thanks. Well done. More to come. Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in. Got uh, some uh, really great fakeries and mistakes to bring to you this uh, hour. Some hilarious twists that nobody saw coming gotta come up with a new name for my biography now fakeries and mistakes has now been spoiled <laughs> very nice very nice i'm happy to write the forward <laughs> and the afterward whatever that is uh so uh before we get to that though uh let's say a late night joke off in which we'll play three comedians jokes is it three today yes, positive john a three pack so three pack i will grade each of the jokes and the lowest grade getter will be banned from comedy for life using my powers under the Constitution as I interpret it. Uh, let's. Uh, oh, our theme today, the candidacy of one Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York City. This morning, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio joined the race, and a lot of people were surprised because his poll numbers are pretty bad. And right now, just 21% of New Yorkers support him running. <laughs> to put that in perspective, 22% of New Yorkers support a wet seat on the subway. So, you know, that's bad. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio announced today that he is running for president. Come on, Bill. Everyone knows the next step after mayor of New York is insane lawyer. De Blasio made his announcement in a three-minute video. Here in New York City, a place that is legendarily tough and big. 
and complicated. Good thing about New Yorkers is they look the same whether they're really pissed off at you or they like you. Mr. Mayor, I have some bad news. They all look the same because they're all really pissed off at you. All right, so uh, a little difficulty in the grading today because um, two of them clearly had visual elements. Uh, Fallon gets an A. I got a guffaw out of me. That's a solid joke. Myers with a B minus. I assume he showed a picture of Rudy Giuliani. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's a solid enough joke. Colbert with a C plus, I'm afraid. It just was not that strong a punchline. Stephen Colbert, banned from comedy for life. If you are hiring, Stephen Colbert is out of work. <laughs> I was, but don't be hiring in comedy. Because he's banned for life. Oh, all right. Yeah, you'd be wasting your money. <laughs> I mentioned this a little bit earlier and just wanted to come back to it because it's so funny. But everybody who's an open borders type quotes the Emma Lazarus poem that's at the base of the Statue of Liberty about give me your poor, your huddled masses that yearn to, to breathe free or whatever it says. It's a lovely poem. And it's a lovely, lovely thought, but it's not national policy. And it's certainly not permanent national policy. The, uh, the keynote speaker... Uh, at the unveiling of the Statue of Liberty was uh, a Senator Everts, who, and I don't have the quotes in front of me. We, we read them to you a couple of weeks ago, but um, he said, now make no mistake, we're not letting criminals in. We're not letting bad people in. We're letting in people who, who yearn to be Americans, who want to be Americans. And he made it very clear that, no, it's not anybody it's it's carefully selected people based on the needs of the country, which might include many, many, many thousands of unskilled laborers if that's what we need. Would it would it be fair to say anybody willing to uh, abide by the the way we do things? Here? Sure, assimilate and and learn to love this country and respect it. Yeah, and I have no problem with that. That's a, that's great. Um, so the whole Emma, Emma Lazarus thing, yeah, it's a poem. I, there once was a man from Nantucket. Okay. Don't finish that one. I'm not going to throw that one at you when you <laughs> get the delay ready. I mean, there's it's just a poem. But I was reading about it. I was trying to find the quote, and I hope I'll dig it up You know, within the next few minutes. But what happened was you have this enormous crowd. It's October 1886. France has given us this giant statue, the sculpture, as a gift. You know, our brothers or sisters in, in, in freedom for human beings, et cetera, et cetera. And it's been a big deal, and and it's been a huge project to to get the thing shipped over, put it together, erect it, etc. And and it's got a big French flag over the top of it, Lady Liberty and her face and her torch and the rest of it. And and the way this is supposed to work is every, there are a couple of short speeches, and then old Senator Everts gives the keynote address, and then as soon as he's done, the very sculptor whose uh, name, uh, Bert- Bartholdi. Bartholdi himself is up in the statue. He's got the rope. The minute Everts is done, he pulls the rope. The French flag comes off, and the thousands and thousands of people see Lady Liberty. Guns and cannons are fired. Then the band strikes up, My country, tis of thee. Uh, and, and oh, the USS Tennessee, a big, I think is a battleship, is there is going to fire its cannons and everything. As soon as this guy's done with his speech. Well, he hits some sort of applause line. People really dig. So he, he pauses for the applause to lie down. And old man Bartholdi is thinking, well, that must be it. 
And so he, he pulls the rope, and the flag comes down, and the people go crazy, and the, the ships fire their cannons, and the, the band starts and everything. But Everett's isn't done, so he just keeps speaking over all this, and everybody's looking around confused, and he's a little pissed off because he hadn't even gotten to the good part yet. I've been building to this for... They wrote four drafts of this! And uh, nobody heard the end of it. So I just I, that, that so appeals to my sense of the absurd. I absolutely love it. Uh, oh man, these uh, these people ordered a uh, a really nice bottle of wine. And they accidentally got a five thousand dollar bottle of wine. Why doesn't that happen to me? Uh, before we get to that, though, Marshall Phillips, what are your headlines? Well, Attorney General Barr has more questions and answers about the origin of the Mueller probe. We've got Trump ripping on the Democrats' latest entry in the presidential race, and our thronies, the country's newest snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess I'll stay tuned. Hope you do too. So I'm trying to find the quote from Senator Yort's speech at the uh, dedication of the Statue of Liberty. Right. And I, I found just the transcript of it. People in the 19th century put up with long speeches. Yes. I mean, it's astonishingly long. You know, the story is the uh, the sculptor thought the speech was over, so he pulled the rope, and right. the flag fell down, and the band began, blah, 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 and it was hilariously screwed up. I'm thinking maybe the old man just thought, oh, God, when's he going to wrap it up? It's hot here in the statue. Yeah, yeah I don't Man, like your Lincoln-Douglas debates. Right. They do three hours, everybody go grab lunch, right. and they come back and do another three. But that, that kind of speechifying was your entertainment back then. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd go out and say, all right, we'll spend the afternoon. That was practically the series finale of Game of Thrones for back in the day. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And th- they were two masters. Uh, what oh, I would yeah. give for you know oh, yeah. a little videotape of that. You know, to be able to watch that a little pay-per-view or something, just to see, you know. I'd be... Until you hear they talk like this. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there was a lot of uh, uh, jousting, verbal jousting, right. a lot of insults, a lot of jokes right. and, and stuff like that, because they had to keep people engaged. And the crowd would react. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they'd get involved and hoot and holler and jump up and down. It was raucous. Yeah. And the two guys went up and down the state doing this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, oh, man. Even to have a transcript to read. The insults you had to think about, too. Why this man couldn't tie a Windsor knot with the... You know, like, they they, they were in-depth in insults. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were really eloquent insults. Yeah. What was the, the whole you effing effer? I just... I hate modern insults. You, you People are so bad at it. Read a little H.L. Mencken. Oh, yeah. Oh, he could spin an insult. What was the uh, the Lincoln threat? Something about wetting your horns? Because he was like a wrestler guy. <gasps> Come right? and wet your horns. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, boy. Eh, he is, he's missed. Abe Lincoln, folks. He was the president once. Marsh Phillips, what's the uh, news these well, days? Well, President Trump is insisting his campaign was indeed spied on in 2016. He fired off a tweet this morning reading, My campaign for president was conclusively spied on. Nothing like this has ever happened in American politics. A really bad situation. Treason means long jail sentences, and this was treason. Okay, it's uh, nobody's going to get uh, hammered for treason. It's impossible. But I will tell you this. There are now uh, written accounts, um, indisputable accounts, that people at the FBI, highly placed people, were saying... This Steele dossier is a piece of garbage. 
It's it's garbage. It's unverified. It's fanciful. It's ridiculous. It's unsourced. It's it's rumor. It's innuendo. This is garbage. And they said that to high-ranking right. officials before those officials went to the FISA court and said, look at this here document. We believe it to be significant. We need to wiretap the, the Trump campaign. We need to surveil these people. We need undercover agents, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not treason, but it may well be uh, cause for serious reform of that process. Now, looking into these origins we're talking about, the Attorney General, Bill Barr, he says the Justice Department probe into the origins of the Russian investigation is to determine whether government officials abuse their power and put their thumb on the scale. Barr telling Fox News the answers to questions that he's asked of investigators so far have been inadequate. I've been trying to get answers to questions, and I found that a lot of the answers have been inadequate. And I've also found that uh, some of the explanations I've gotten don't hang together. So in in a sense, I have more questions today than I did when I first started. Now, Barr going on to add, If we're worried about foreign influence, for the very same reason, we should be worried about whether government officials abuse their power and put their thumb on the scale. And, And so I'm not saying that happened. Uh, but I'm saying that we have to look at that. Barr's appointed a U.S. attorney to determine if the intel collection during the special counsel's probe involving the Trump campaign was, quote, lawful and appropriate. Meanwhile, President Trump is predicting a short run for Democratic presidential candidate Bill de Blasio. In a video posted on Twitter, Trump said he'd be very surprised to see the mayor in the race for a long time. The worst mayor in the history of New York City and without question, the worst mayor in the United States is now running for president. It will never happen. I'm pretty good at predicting things like that. Donald J. Trump, who you may remember was on The Apprentice, uh, has a gift for hyperbole, certainly. Yes. Uh, de Blasio is not clearly the worst mayor in America, although we decided earlier that there's crappiness. The formula is crappiness times population. If you're a terrible mayor of a town of 500 people, it's the political equivalent of a tree falling in the forest with no right. one to hear it. Your your bad yeah. policies need to make right. life bad for people in order for you to be truly a bad mayor. Well, right, yeah. How many people are is your badness uh, damaging? Yeah, per capita. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's a formula. And by that reasoning, de Blasio is almost certainly the worst. The new mayor of Chicago has a shot. Because that city is is utterly corrupt, bloated, broke, and 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 just well, it's corrupt. Uh, let me. Stay. I'm going in in order of radio markets, which isn't the most accurate way to do it. San Francisco, they got a new mayor there. She's doing her best, but it's an ungovernable city. But she, no way she passes De Blasio. I think De Blasio no. is our champion. My friends, therapy is now being offered to Game of Thrones fans distraught over the show's ending. The final episode of HBO's show is going to be Sunday night, and the website Bark.com has counselors on hand and available who are familiar with the series to help fans deal with their feelings, whether it be anger, confusion, or grief. If you need a counselor because the end of Game of Thrones, throw yourself off a cliff like a lemming. The herd doesn't need you. We would be stronger without you. Do us a favor. Shame. Right. Shame. Ring the shame bell. Shame. 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 Now, are you ringing that? Shame. 
Are you ringing that at the fans, or are you ringing ringing that at the writers? Uh, well, well, I mean, there's there's, there's plenty of shame yeah, to go yeah. around. There's, right. there's no shame shortage in America. I mean, Sharing the we're shame. in a surplus. Shame, <laughs> shame, shame. All right. Shame. Golden State Warriors beat the Trailblazers one fourteen to one eleven. Golden State leads two games to zip, and the Bucks are hosting the Raptors tonight in Game Two of their series. I tell you what, I don't know if you like the basketball. Uh, Golden State has won both of the first games, but the Warriors are. are uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the Trailblazers are a. Uh, Really solid team. Yep. They're they're fighting. It's fun to watch. I know the Eastern Conference Final is a good one too. Um, the, but the Curry family drama mm-hmm. in the Western Con- Conference Finals. First time ever brothers are playing against each other in Conference Finals. You got the parents up in the stands, one in each jersey, yeah, cheering like crazy. Yeah. The brothers are now starting to, you know, uh, trash talk each other, but like brothers in the driveway style, <laughs> and it's just it's entertaining as can be. And you got little Seth Curry, who's, I'm sure, as a human being, well, we're all God's children. Um, as a basketball player, though, Steph, I'm sorry, is, is clearly the, the king. Right. It's one of the weird things, too. He's better at basketball than 99.9% of the people on the planet. Seth. Yeah, Seth yeah. is. Yeah. But in that family, you're, nah, come on. He's in last place. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, uh, the world is cruel. But so anyway, he's he's unquestionably the underdog brother. Yes. Uh, but he had a really good game last night. And listen, I'm I'm rooting for Golden State. That's the way I swing. I know we have a lot of uh, Trail Blazers fans among the audience, and 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 we mm-hmm. sure appreciate you listening. Uh, but anyway, I'm rooting for Seth Curry to score 50 points and lose. That's my preferred outcome. Just because I love the little brother who's always scraping but can't quite catch his... Is, is, is Steph older? Yeah, yeah. Three years older. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. He, he can't quite beat his older brother, but he's trying like crazy. I just love that. Imagine if they got in a fight on the court, oh. the two of them, you know? I just ended on a really positive life-affirming <laughs> note, Michael. I'm sorry. What's the matter with you? Del comes out, grabs them both by the oh. ear. <laughs> you know what, Michael? You have the shame bell You again? know what? Shame! Shame! Shame, shame. Michael! Shame! Oh. Shame! 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 Right. Yes, we need... Did some people say we need less shaming in America? We need more. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Somebody accidentally brings me a $5,000 bottle of wine at my, uh, my table. I'm drinking it. That story next. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't care if Monday's blue, Tuesday's gray, and Wednesday too. Thursday, I don't care about you. It's Friday, I'm in love. Monday, you can fall apart. Tuesday, hey, happy Friday to ye. I hope you've got a couple of days uh, off to look forward to. And if you're working, I hope they're, uh, they're paying you good for working on the weekend. I certainly did plenty of that through the years. So we're talking about the dedication of the Statue of Liberty for reasons that take a little while to explain. People are always quoting the Emma Lazarus poem, but uh, the keynote speakers made it clear that, you know, we're gonna not going to let in criminals and bad people and dangerous people and lazy people. We're going to welcome people who want to be good Americans. So, yeah, uh, the poem notwithstanding... Both things are true. Um, but I'm reading the address. I was trying to find one specific quote. And, and the various speakers, and there are quite a few speakers, they go on for pages and pages and pages. 
<clears throat> I'm, I'm starting like five pages into this speech. The whole French nation five years ago associated herself with your glorious Yorktown centennial. And with deep emotion, the grandsons of Lafayette, Rochambeau, de Grasse, and other illustrious warriors gazed upon the portraits of their ancestors on the commemorative pictures of your glory and read their names inscribed among the heroes and founders of your national independence. Before such images, every French heart is moved by the same feeling, for these are not merely his that paragraph. I'm a third of the way into that paragraph. <laughs> the republics of the past were debased by hostility toward foreigners, by arbitrary and brutal power, and by slavery. Even in the modern world, liberty was during long ages the monopoly of privileged castes or races. Far different is our liberty, which relies upon the equality of rights and duties of all citizens, which secures for each the same protection and extends to all a maternal solicitude without distinction of birth, wealth, opinion, or color. Um, I would point out that's a white guy in the 1880s uh, in front of a giant crowd hammering away that that our rights should know no color and i say good for you sir during all of the ugly periods of our history when a lot of ugly stuff was going on a lot of people particularly of dark skin were being treated utterly unforgivably there are also a hell of a lot of people fighting it uh so don't forget that when your college snowflake explains to you how bad white people are um there are people fighting and dying against racism for years uh okay moving along to a lighter note so this is a uh, a restaurant uh, where these folks are are out. It's it's quite the um, it's quite the celebration, and they ordered a two hundred seventy five dollar bottle of wine. Um, but the uh, the the waiter went to get the wine, I guess, and grabbed the wrong bottle, and accidentally grabbed a five thousand dollar bottle of wine. 2001 bottle of Chateau Le Pin Pomerol. Oh, that was a good year. Oh, are you kidding? It was a great year. It's really nice. Goes well with the spam. You want the odd years for the Reds or something silly like that? I think I heard once. Yeah, that was true briefly, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So uh, what what goes good with a, a Big Mac? Uh, Gar- Garcon? Yeah, how do you like the 2001 uh, Chateau, Chateau Le Pin Pomerol? So anyway, this poor waiter brings a $5,000 bottle of wine. They opened it and swigged it down. As you would. Well, yeah, nobody knew. Because, you know, it was almost the same bottle. It was just, I think it was the same vintage, but a different um, different wine. Um, and uh, here's what the manager uh, tweeted. To the customer who accidentally got given a bottle of the Chateau, what's his name? Uh, which is $5,000 on our menu last note last night. Hope you enjoyed your evening. To the member of the staff who accidentally gave it away, chin up. One-off mistakes happen. We love you anyway. Nice. That's, that is nice. That is if nice. I'm those people, I go back and I give that, that lad a, a little bit of a heftier tip than I did the, the, the oh, night before. Yeah, I might swing back in and hand him a twin ski at yeah, least. Thanks yeah. Thanks for the experience, my lad. It was good wine. And I, tell, I guarantee that those people had no idea they're drinking a $5,000 bottle of wine because... It's just about scarcity. I mean, it's not like a $5,000 bottle of wine is, what would that be? It would be almost 200 times better than a 200. Did I get that math right? 20 times better than a $250 bottle of wine. That's just crazy. Yeah, I guess it'd be 20. Uh, Piers Morgan, of all people, tweeted, I'd like to reserve a table for tonight with the same waiter, please. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, you know, I like wine. I really like wine. But there's so much pretension and phoniness in wine. That's why when I find... People who make wine and enjoy wine who aren't pretentious and phony, I tend to really like them. Um, so much good stuff that is not oh. at all expensive. Oh, it's oh, I'm telling you. 
Listen, if you're a rich guy and you like to impress people and you want to buy wine, 50, 70, 100 bucks, 100 bucks or even more than that, go ahead. It's your money. I don't care. Um, you're paying the tax on it and you know people are making a living off of it. Good for you. But if you want to find really, really great wines for, say, $25, um, they're out there. Absolutely out there. And I could recommend several if you'd like. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I really like wine, but I hate snobbishness in all forms, in all places. Anyway, uh, speaking of fakery and mistakery, uh, this is from the the inimitable New York Post. This gal is a an heiress, got tons and tons of money, and and she's getting married to this celebrity hairstylist. But she, am I correct? Is this Sean? She wants a prenup. Yes, she and uh, more accurately, her father. Probably ah. was had his fingerprints on this as well. Ah. Was, was trying to encourage her to get a prenup before this this wedding. So this guy's name is is William, the uh, the would be groom. And I can see old dad because I am an old dad. <laughs> I got a couple of do- more or less grown daughters saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." William's a great guy, uh, honey. I'm really uh, happy for you kids. He's uh, quite a hairstylist. Is and very handsome. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, the family fortune, let's talk about and, that. And uh, of note, the the father himself, thrice divorced, uh, very familiar with these sort of things. Worth mentioning. Yeah. So anyway, this gal's under a bit of pressure from the old man, but still likes her man. He says no to a prenup, and I get that. I get that. Planning for when we divorce or if we divorce, bad juju going in. I understand why people do it. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, it feels a little like, uh, I don't know, it's just bad juju. So, anyway, they went ahead and threw a wedding. Quotes around that word. Let me describe some of the features of that wedding to you. Oops, oh, that's right. Sean has uh, got it highlighted. The four-day wedding dealio with the many, many guests included horseback riding, zip lining, hiking, Late night poker and debauchery. Kara- karaoke. Wait a minute. Movies under the stars. A barbecue and s'mores buffet. And lunch by the pool. Four day fest. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. We're not done. There were yoga classes, watercolor painting classes, <laughs> guided walks, and custom made paper dolls in the image of each guest to accompany the keys to their suites which typically run from 2600 to $4,300 a night. Guided walks. I'm fine. <laughs> Leave me alone. I can see where the path goes. <laughs> so four days of the... I mean, you show up to somebody's wedding and you sit there in your hard shoes and, you know, whatever, and you, you got there's a ball game on, you could have been playing golf or whatever, you know, or whatever. You know, that's showing you care about people. They want you to show up for four days of horseback riding, karaoke, and, and donkey rides, or whatever the hell else they're doing. <laughs> yoga <laughs> routines. Yoga routines, Hillary. Uh, that's, that's some ask. But so anyway, um, they, uh, they went down the aisle, danced down the aisle, exchanged vows. Apparently, uh, the entire thing was a sham. The gal hatched this scheme with her dad, who is the co-owner of the family's uh, big, giant car dealership company. And now he is the the groom is now suing everyone because it was it was fake. They went out of their way to make sure that the the family friend who was going to be the uh, the the minister or the the leader of these ceremonies did not get ordained. 
yeah, seemed, seemed to be very savvy about which paperwork made it official, which didn't. Right. When filings needed to happen and when oh. they shouldn't. Whoops, I'll be damned. You know me, I'm not very good at paperwork. Uh, yeah, this guy uh, handed over a $90,000 uh, diamond on her engagement ring. He's a celebrity hairstylist, after all. Um, well, if, if if you're marrying into heiress wealth, I understand that sort of business investment. Right, right. I'm also thinking, you know, we're going to be spending a lot of time on yachts and, and San Tropez, wherever that is, and, uh, you know, going <laughs> going to the Cannes Film Festival. That's Cannes, honey. Right, the Cannes Festival. So I'm not going to be working a lot. So if we do split up, I'd appreciate, I don't know, four or five mil. Can we, just, can we agree on that? I won't try to take the old man for all he's got. Look, four or five is fine. 3.5, let's say 3.8. Deal. Now we get married. It's easy. Why are people so unreasonable? It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.